I'm Betsy Reed, and this is The Discomfort Practice, where I talk to creatives, activists, leaders, scientists, and a host of others about discomfort, about the role it's played in their lives, who they are and what they do in the world, and the value of discomfort in helping us move forward as a society. Discomfort is just the edge of your comfort zone, and on the other side are superpowers. So settle yourself in, and let's get uncomfortable. Oyen Consula, or Oying Adebayo, is the founder and CEO of Neo Group, which is an ecosystem of brands that exists to economically empower Black women to be builders of high-impact ecosystems. We'll get into what that means. But Oying's purpose is to empower Black women globally to upskill, transform their careers, and create a world-class Black female ecosystem using the latest technologies to curate and build culture and shape the way Black women produce. So Oyen herself arrived in the UK at the age of 12 from Lagos, Nigeria. Although she was outgoing, she was switched on and fiercely passionate, but struggled to feel settled in in the UK for several years. If anybody has moved countries, particularly to a new continent, they can probably relate. But the problems Oyen was experiencing in the UK combined with the issues of poverty she saw back home in Nigeria, led her to take on social impact work while still at school. She started young. She started volunteering and even campaigned to raise awareness of sexual exploitation within her own community in Birmingham. So fast forward to now, and she's still working to make life better for young women, their families, and wider communities. Through her work with charities and as a mentor, but also through the tech-focused businesses she's launched. So Neo Enterprise is an organization that looks to economically empower Black women, and it has two strands, the Neo Network, which is a not-for-profit outfit that trains and upscales Black women at risk of unemployment, and Neo Hair and Beauty, an e-commerce business that empowers women by providing hard-to-access hair and beauty supplies. And uh, Neo Bootcamps has trained over 500 Black women to be upscaled in various tech roles through the Black Coder bootcamp and Black Disruptor bootcamps, which is one of the projects under Neo bootcamps, and it's set to empower more women every year. Some of the women she has empowered have secured roles in places like KPMG and other top tier organizations. So Ayane holds an MSc in development economics and a BA in business management and economics and thought she would have a career in politics. And I'm really, really glad Ayin, that you didn't follow that route because the world needed more from you, not to diss politicians, but I think it would have limited you in what you could possibly do in the world. So I'm really excited to talk to you today. You come highly recommended from a past guest, Nick Govier. So welcome. Thank you for having me. That was such a great intro. Um, it's really, really, I love the first part. And I was wondering, it wasn't me that wrote that? <laughs> or was it, was it, was it you that wrote it? Because if you wrote it, please, can you give it to me? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so great to be here. And I'm so honored to to kind of speak to you because I've, you know, listened to some of the podcasts and I just thought, wow, what a great, great conversation. So I'm excited for this one. Brilliant. Well, I mean, I know you're busy, so we'll crack on. But before we we started, we've been talking about this for a while by email. And I initially had asked you, what's a taboo topic that you wished you could talk about or a conversation that you wished you could have or finish that you haven't been able to and that helped form the focus of actually kind of what we're going to circle around today. And I've titled it why the world doesn't actually work. And I didn't want to say why the world doesn't actually work for some people, because why the world doesn't work for 
people who are not of the top 2% economically, not of a certain color. It's the majority of the world. So let's just say why the world doesn't work and talk about why. And we'll get into some of the questions that are going to lead to some juicy discussion about that. So the first question always, what's an uncomfortable moment that shaped who you are and what you do in the world? Oh, I feel like I've had so many uncomfortable moments um, that has shaped who I am and what I've done in the world. Um, some of it was from when I was a kid, um, when I lived in Nigeria, um, which kind of led me to do a lot of my sexual exploitation work. You know, as a kid, I was actually sexually exploited and I had this kind of burning passion to want to change something about that. Another uncomfortable moment was when my my dad told me that I was coming to the UK after I just finished year nine in Nigeria and just to find out that I was going to not be going back to Nigeria at the age of 12. <laughs> and I was just, that was an uncomfortable moment because I remember coming to visit the UK from as little as the age of, I think, nine or 10. And as much as I didn't mind coming here on holiday, I just couldn't see myself living here. Um, it just wasn't my, my society. I, I was confused by the size of the houses, the fact that the houses relatively quite small in comparison to what I was used to. Um, I was confused about maybe the relationship between me and my neighbours, you know. I was confused about how community cohesion was, was like here. It was, the, the, the society just confused me. But I, I had to quickly accept that, that kind of reality that I was going to be here. But I don't think that I fully accepted it. And it was interesting because I got to the UK. I'd just finished year nine. Um, mind you, I went to boarding school in Nigeria and I'd not seen my parents for months and months and we can you know kind of my school at the time finishes pretty early so you kind of finish in around may time and so i got here and my mom was it was i got here on a friday um on accompanied on the plane and my mom was like great welcome to the uk i'm just like why are you welcoming me i thought i'm just coming on holiday well so school starts on monday <laughs> what oh my god what do you mean what do you mean school starts on monday i just finished school i, I just finished junior high school, like Cambridge Tech, I'm going to senior high school in a few months. And number one, I didn't get to hang out with my friends. Like we had planned, we were planned to go to the, you know, to the cinemas in, in, by, in Lagos, in, in, which in Nigeria. We had planned to do so many things, you know, hang out in each other's homes and whatever. But now I'd come to the UK where I wasn't so used to. I remember my first day of school, someone, someone asked me, what's your name? <laughs> and I said, my name's Uinka, because that's what I, I was used to being called. And I remember people just not knowing how to say my name. And I was confused of why that was. Also the start of difference of most people not looking like me. So coming from a society where most people look like me to most people not looking like me. And on top of that, how keen I was in the education system, how keen I was to contribute, how keen I was to, and like how it was just frowned upon at school. And that, that moment shaped me to understand, wow, there's something here. But then moving forward, um, I had a lot of immigration challenges. Me and my family, we did have a lot of immigration challenges. We come from a relatively middle-class background in Nigeria. But to see that switch to moving to the UK where we became poor for probably around two or three years, um, and not because that, not because we weren't clever enough, but because the system just didn't fit us. And also we kept getting rejected immigration-wise. Oh. Those inequalities for me kind of shaped me today i could keep going on and on, on there's a lot there already yeah. you've so gracefully and elegantly glided over what is 
basically <laughs> we talked about sexual exploitation there's systemic exploitation there's the intrinsic racism of immigration laws in most places and particularly in europe like wow and also then the shock of being 12 years old which is quite a pivotal age for most people and and never not gotten to say goodbye to your friends of just being like oh will you live here now wow i mean so then in a line how how is that with you today what has that showed up as in who you are and, and what you do in the world how you show up how do i show up in the world i think um you know like all of those different ex experiences that I've had, and I've not shared all of them, but like all of the different experiences that I've had has basically shaped me to be tenacious, dogged, um, adaptable, but also vulnerable and not being afraid to share where my perspective is coming from. What was interesting was that, you know, when I used to get bullied, it wasn't, I won't even call it bullying because I wasn't like my parents, Brought, my, brought me and my siblings up to be so strong-willed that we don't like, tolerate such, such a thing. Such nonsense. <laughs> the concept of bullying doesn't make sense to me personally. But anyway, when I was being, like it was attempts of people bullying me, I remember you know, being very, very like, okay, so you want to comment on my accent? I, will, I also want to comment on how crap your results were last week. Like I was very, I was that type of child. Like, and I, <laughs> and I didn't really care about, I didn't really care about people trying to, I guess, put me down because I think I was so strong-willed. So yeah, and that might be a natural thing that has, that occurs, I don't know. But also I think it, what contributes to it is also how I was brought up to be tough, essentially, mm. and be adaptable. And all of those traits are things that people then cultivate to become better entrepreneurs. So it makes sense that you do what you do because you've got those skills already, you've got the toolbox and you have spent a few decades, a couple of decades, then practicing them, honing them. Resilience and vulnerability was an interesting one in that list. I really thought, ooh, that's one to, we'll dive into that. Because the first question that Kai sort of got from our previous conversation that we're kind of going to focus on here because it's uncomfortable for a lot of people, yeah. and that's what we do here, is focusing on having a very frank and juicy conversation about the historical role that race in, and gender play in shaping our world today. Mm -hmm. Because obviously you've got a lot of perspective on that based on what you've already just said, but I kind of want to just set you loose on that question. You know, what is your answer to that? How, how does the historical role of race and the politicization of skin color mm -hmm. and, and the decision to oppress 50% of humanity based on their gender shape the world today in your perspective? I think what's interesting is um, when when we start with race, let's just start with race. Whenever I speak on panels or, or I'm invited to speak about race, oftentimes I find it exhausting. But oftentimes when I when I do <laughs> when I do also you know communicate, I actually mention that this little island that we're on, England or the United Kingdom, is not literally the most of the world. Actually, majority of the world is actually made up of people of color when you actually think about it that way. And actually the power lies in the West. It's interesting how there's more resources on the poorer parts of the world. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of that is kind of, you know, embedded on 
you know, um, unfair practices that have been done in the past. Um, mm -hmm. Studying development economics, I looked a lot into this. I looked a lot into race. I looked a lot into slavery um, and also pre-slavery as well in terms of the cultures that we kind of had. One of the things that themes that I realized was because in, like I looked specifically into like um, communities and tribes and villages in, in, Niger in West Africa, specifically Nigeria, because that's where I'm from. And actually that communal come together as a family type of culture, which we still have till today, versus the individualistic society that we may have, you know, in the West. Can, there's room for exploitation there, if that makes sense. And so for me, um, that's why I want to raise as many black women as possible on the planet to build the world's most meaningful products, because then race will not be a philanthropic exercise that we think that we need to kind of change overnight it would now be actually this black woman has built this and so therefore she has the economic power to be able to change communities and, and nations from a gender perspective i think that again more than ever before women are not represented in like the, the kind of world systems there was some news last week about hell no yeah you know the news <laughs> do you know no go what are you gonna say <laughs> okay there was some news last week. I'm not going to mention the people's names, but three men, white men, raised 150 million euros um, for an AI startup that was four weeks old. Hmm. <laughs> I think I know where you're going with this. <laughs> yes. Women still struggle to raise 500k in nine months. And so that shows us how broken the system is. And sometimes... The people in the system don't realize it because we're so used to being in our own silos and our own little planets and our own little community and to open up those spaces to really kind of see what's going on outside of that ecosystem. So I think there's so much work that needs to be done for us to be able to change the ecosystem. And that work, the people that have the power to change that work, we need to actually have honest conversations, almost do uncomfortable things for us to see change and for us to see true equity from a race and gender perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And well, okay. Oh, there are so many things I want to say. <laughs> One of my earliest roles was, um, I now see it as part of my path, but it seemed like kind of an accident at the time, but I got hired to set up a national fair trade body and run it in Scotland. And it just deep dived me into development economics and global inequality and the fact that exploitation, as we currently interpret it and live it, relies on exploitation somewhere in order to deliver to those of us in you know, the global north. And so I can't unknow that and I can't not have that perspective. And it's painful to have because everywhere I look, I think, okay, well, that thing is cheap because that person isn't paid well in this other part of the world, but we just get to outsource the, the underside of capitalism, the shadow side of capitalism. But then also you look at who's in power and it is just this very narrow range, which is a very unfortunate thing because we need all the brilliant minds and perspectives we can get to solve tricky problems. Like how do we deal with climate change? How do we deal with the angst of social inequality that keeps people poor and you know down and, it doesn't actually make sense for our, our communal good because, you know, nature shows us that diversity of ecosystems makes our immune system stronger. It makes our ecosystem stronger. So it's so weird that this, this system that we've created, this economic system that dominates most of the world is just so fragile and brittle and 
homogenous. You know, it doesn't make any sense. So it makes sense to just be like, okay, this is not working for the world because as you've said, the world is mostly non-white and mostly, well, at least 50% not male. And, but the people who run our systems are still a very narrow band. And then they give money and funding to people who look like them because they can relate to them. And that's human nature. We are wired like that. So how are you changing it? I want to hear about the work that you're doing to build technologies and incubators to empower women, black women to use them and build their own businesses. It's time to get inspired and how you are actually working to change the way things look and the way things work. So we used to be called Neo Enterprise, um, but we decided that actually we're not an enterprise, we're actually a group of companies and that's essentially like what kind of embodies what we do. And so at the moment there is two sides to the business. There's Neo, what is today Neo Bootcamp and what was Neo Network. Um, but we're essentially expanding to something called Neo Labs, and that essentially is our education arm. It's well where we upskill women to be able to get into tech and to thrive in tech. Um, we've upskilled about six hundred Black women as you know since twenty twenty. Wow. And when we mean us upskill, we don't mean that you know we just give you a video. We actually have run boot camps for six hundred Black women. That's a lot of man hours, woman hours. Yeah, it's literally like intense. Um, and our rates right now is that 60% of them have ended up in roles in like high growth startups or corporates like like what you mentioned, KPMG, Goldman Sachs and, and large companies like that, but also high growth startups. I literally met a lady yesterday, well, no, two days ago in, a, in an event that I was speaking at who did our bootcamp in January, was um, became like a, I think a, a, a tester, a, um, a data tester, and then now, now is a systems analyst. like a large company so we're making such an impact and we're actually allowing black women to be builders of high impact ecosystems yeah can i can i wait interject and say like there's the whole yes this is amazing for the women but also what is that doing for the organizations in which they land you know like how is that changing the ecosystem the culture the perspective that's brought to each project they're involved in do you think or do you know Yes, I think that a lot of organizations come to us and say, we want to see more diverse talent and and so on and so forth. What I think when our ladies go in, it brings diversity of thoughts. Mm -hmm. But I think what's interesting is like, I think that a lot of organizations still need to challenge bias. We talk about bias a lot, like, oh my gosh, bias, oh my gosh, we're doing unbiased recruit. And I think we we do a lot of these things to um, kind of show that we're trying to do good, but I don't know how many people are really about it. Yeah. And actually, I don't know how many people are really willing to be about it. Here at Neo, we're not a huge company. We're a very small startup, but we're really about what we say we're about. And it's to an extent where some of our, our staff members don't believe us. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> they, they have such bad experience in the past. Like, we try to foster a culture of openness, honesty, but people still don't believe us, right? And and that's the culture, the working culture that we have found ourselves in, which I think is very, very terrible. There's a lot of work that still needs to be done in in organizations. Um, I think at the moment, what we, what like our ladies kind of add value right now is that diversity of thought. But I think there could still be more work done on, on actually evaluating and understanding what goes on in organizations because we we can't know until 
the organization's transparent about yeah. it. It's unbiased. It's because one of the things I do is I I lead a course for the Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership. And we talk about, I just led a course review. Yeah. So we injected a lot more material about diversity and discomfort and unconscious biases, which was in there before, but we really dialed it up. And what's been interesting is one of the students this time around, because they're all executives with like 15 plus years of experience around the globe. And one of them was like, I'm in charge of building a team and my people are so good, they get poached a lot. So I'm constantly building a new team, but I'm now aware that I really need to be aware of my own biases as we do recruitment processes. Um, you know, and I was like, well, do you have any colleagues you can ask to bounce questions off of? And because it was like, I took some of the, the Harvard unconscious bias tests and found out I have a slight bias toward this group and this group. And he was really quite upset about it, but also it was like, there's work to be done to make sure I don't bring this into the interview process. And I thought that was a brilliant insight from somebody who is recognizing, you know, they're, they're powerful white men from the West. And they realized that they were a gatekeeper. They had responsibility to check their own biases. You know, it's not a program you sign up to or a box you tick. It's actually biases come from individuals and that builds a culture. And, and so if anybody's listening to this and is ever in charge of a recruitment process, take an unconscious bias test and find out what your biases are. And then ask someone who doesn't look like you, what, what questions might make them uncomfortable or might make them feel welcome or might be discriminatory, you know, just do a little homework. It's our job to do that. <laughs> and sort of, yeah, white people, honestly, doing our education and doing our own efforts to open the doors to true diversity and be willing to grapple with the discomfort that brings because it means people have different lived experience and different perspective and different ideas. And that's awesome. If you're cool with discomfort, it's a great place to be because the result always ends up much stronger than just people who think like you. So that's my little advert inserted for how to try to do some less biased recruitment because it is really just, it's quite practical, isn't it? It's not so airy-fairy. It's a strategy. It's a policy we have. It's what questions are you asking? What are you requiring on um, application forms? You know, things might be legal, but they might still be discriminatory. They might put off certain people groups who aren't that empowered yet. So feel free to comment and make me uncomfortable and challenge anything I've just said, by the way. I think, I think what's interesting as well, actually, when it comes to um, this recruitment process, I mean, one of my mentors once said to me that she knew one of the best AI scientist that she she had ever met and she happens to be a nigerian black woman who had a very thick nigerian accent um and applied for one of our clients um but not not necessarily she didn't come through our boot camp she just applied straight off the bat to work at one of our clients and she got through to the last stage of interview and they said they said brilliant things about her but said unfortunately we would not be able to accept you and one of the <laughs> one of the things that my um my mentor said to me was like oh i can imagine that she would go through your boot camp and you would just see that those things that they thought was a problem was, was actually nothing to you guys because you would have been able to sift that out. I think it's just also about that language barrier as well and cultures. You know, people tend to kind of, you know, submit to things that are comfortable for them. You mm -hmm. know, um, and like, you know, like, oh, even if this person is great, they're like, oh, I'm not sure this person is going to be a culture fit. Um, because maybe they speak differently from me. Maybe they have a different accent or um, they phrase their words differently and they kind of arrange their words differently. Or maybe they may be more direct and then you're more, you know, 
I don't know, not as direct as them. And so those little things are actually, actually play a massive role in unconscious bias. But I, um, but I think one of the things I've been really thinking about is how do we stabilise all of this? Because we're always going to have those different subjective differences. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just an interesting, interesting thought that I've been having. Yeah, I was, um, I was working with a DEI consultant in the UK a couple of weeks back. And the the whole cultural fit thing came up as like, oh my gosh, it's a big old red flag in terms of diversity and inclusion because what is a good culture fit? A good culture fit is somebody who fits what's already happening. If you're in an organization that is looking for good cultural fits, I beg you to check yourselves because that means you're looking for someone who's already like you. That means you're looking for somebody who already sounds like you or looks like you or thinks like you or whatever, but like good culture fit. What does that actually mean? Maybe you should be looking for someone who expands your cultural horizons within your organization, because those are the people who are going to bring challenging learning curves potentially, but also, you know, the greatest perspective on things you haven't thought of yet. And that's what the future needs from us, right? That's what the workplaces of now and the future need. And that's what all of our perspectives need is just, yeah. So I, you probably have um, spent some time pondering the recent Edelman Trust Barometer, haven't we all? I'm, I don't know if you have or not, but I always read the Edelman Trust Barometer. It's been coming out every year for 20 years. And the most recent one was a kind of a, an alarming read because it showed this increasing, rapidly increasing polarization of society where they're like even 20% of people say they would not want to work with someone of differing political views. They wouldn't want to live near someone of differing political views. So we're getting to this sort of crescendo of polarized, separate, tribal, I don't want to be near you if you think differently than, than me. And that's really dangerous to finding solutions and a way forward in some of the trickiest circumstances we've had in you know, remembered history as humans. And so I I think we're getting to this point where like, we're breaking society ourselves if we don't actually tackle the diversity thing sooner rather than later. You know, if we refuse to be around or talk to or interact with people who have a different view on something like a vaccine or a policy or um, a religion, we are really doing ourselves a lot of collective harm and and it's getting worse. So I think it's something we are we really need to get our heads around and be uncomfortable about and address. And I think the work you're doing and the opinions that you are saying and using your platforms to talk about, about you know, historical role of race and gender is massively important right now, not just in building a business and empowering black women, but in really challenging society to decide which direction it wants to go, right? Do we want to succeed together or do we want to live in little pockets where we have less access to the brain power and the resources that we need to solve some tricky issues that are on our collective plates? But yeah, I guess, can we talk about what's inspiring you? Like who inspires you? What inspires you right now? In terms of an individual today that continually inspires me, there's so many of them, um, but I would actually, you know, say someone like Nick, <laughs> you know, Nick genuinely does inspire me. I think she's like so well connected, but yet so humble about it. I really, really love when leaders are super humble, but they're also equally as powerful as well. I love when I see that dynamic play. What is inspiring me right now? I'm so obsessed with solving problems 
and using technologies to do that. I'm always thinking about, okay, how can we solve this problem better? So, for example, with, with our kind of education business, we're going to be building a learn-to-earn edtech platform to upskill one million black women globally by 2028. That's our next flight. And how can we use um, um, different technologies to do that? How can we use blockchain technologies to do that? How can we empower people as they learn, but also earn at the same time? How do we decentralize power? But also, like, how do we make sure that we use relevant and emerging technologies like artificial intelligence? I know it's a buzzword right now, but it's been around for us for longer. And also, like with our beauty business, we're kind of elevating that using augmented reality for you to kind of try on hairstyles, for you to book hair appointments and using a concept like, like robotics um, technology to look at how can we um, enable you to be able to braid hair faster and different kind of solutions like that. How do we build an ecosystem where black women are continually building great things? That's my inspiration right now. I love that it's just such a great way to bring a lot of those technologies to life too. Because most people are like blockchain, my brain just goes a bit numb and I'm like, what does that look like? Augmented reality. And you're like, yeah, we're upskilling women to do this. We're teaching them how to have these skills and braid hair. And it's actually, it's just so cool and easy and personal as well. You know, it's about, it's about looking good and feeling good. And literally, you know, literally our, our motto is feel empowered, be empowered. So makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think that's, what's so beautiful about this project too. Cause it's just like, I get tickled by it. It's just like, it's just so cool. And it's also so beautifully feminine as well while being, you know, based in tech, which most people think of as, you know, quite a male dominated world. And, I just, yeah, I get a kick out of it. And you say it so easily and so elegantly. I'm like, yeah, no big deal. It is a big deal, Oyin. It's a big fucking deal. It's, it's empowering. I love it. Just a million Black women by 2028. How is that going to happen? What are the milestones for that? Because I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, once it launches, I think you would literally be like, wow, this is insane because it's literally insane. And I can't take any credit for what we're building. <laughs> I cannot. Like, have to give all the props to my tech team, my design team. Like, they're doing great jobs. Um, so the way we're going to be doing that is like, we are still going to be continuing on our boot camps, but what we want to do is to build a, a greater pipeline of women globally to be able to be upskilled. A lot of people will come to me and say, yeah, I want to get into tech. And what they think that they want to do is, you know, they want to get into coding, but actually not everyone can do that. So this kind of um, Neolab is going to enable us to be able to build that pipeline for people. Um, so just to think about it, there's 1.6 million black women in the UK. And I believe only like 600,000 or no, sorry, 200,000 of them are in tech. Wow. In Nigeria alone, which is just one African country, there's um, about 120 million women and there's 22 million of them are working women. So when you actually look at the grand scheme of those two societies, we're tapping into those two societies and we're taking just 1 million of those people as a sample size to really onboard on this platform and a percentage of them would essentially eventually go on our boot camps to be able to kind of get roles but it doesn't mean that if you don't come on the boot camps you can't apply for jobs that will be on the platform you would be able to do that so it's just supercharging the next generation of women who build things not just for employers but also to build their own their own businesses so we have a founders boot camp at the moment where we've got black women building tech very awesome tech ideas some people are building ai for you know physiotherapy note note taking some people are are building um you know um, how do we kind of use ai for like legal matters 
there's so many different things that people are building financial inclusion apps um to you know um farm you know farming and agriculture mixed with gamification on the blockchain those are the type of things that our ladies are building to like you know technology that basically helps prisoners communicate more effectively with their parents at home and also being able to kind of use cyber security to to spot themes of conversation like so many different great things that people are building what a laundry list of things but also i mean development economics yeah you know that the best way to to change communities is to empower and educate women because then they feed that back into their families, their communities. So to those who aren't familiar with basically the kind of the statistics and the studies behind that reality, this is a big deal. You know, if you, it's just how it works. If you empower women, you empower whole communities, you truly change the world. And the amazingness of this being global and tech being now so accessible is truly exciting like it, it clicked for me now I get it this is a big big deal and it's exciting it really is because I thought what you said about empowering the next generation of women to build stuff that's so cool because if you build stuff you build the systems yeah. and you're part of the systems and the bias in tech is unfortunate and widespread of you know most most people who develop tech are white men of a certain age and perspective and education. Yeah. You know, there are definitely exceptions to that, but this is also broadening out the the perspective of tech and the the accessibility of tech and the relevance of tech to more of the world. So hopefully the world will work better for more people, for the majority of people, because it doesn't. Yeah. Oh, we are quickly sliding toward the end of our time. So I have a couple more questions. <laughs> well, let's see. Let's start with what okay what are your own discomfort practices what keeps you on the edge of your learning curve but then also what are your self-care practices you know because we can't all live on the edge all the time <laughs> what keeps me on the edge being an entrepreneur the highest 20 members of staff keeps you on the edge i guess like it's it, it's you know success is like a roller coaster when you choose this journey of entrepreneurship and actually building i guess an empire there's always a new challenge every single day. And I think that every single morning I, I, I do a bit of a mind, um, mind dump. What is going on in my mind? How am I thinking today? How can I think better? How can I, you know, have more of a kind of more progressive approach to my, you know, to, to, to my day? That's kind of how I kind of survive. Some people ask me, how do you do it? Like, I don't know how you do it. You're so strong. Um, it's, I just have learned to be so adaptable from a young age. What are my self-care practices? I love to read books. I love to crochet and I love to sew. Um, I used to subscribe to sewing subscription boxes, but because I haven't, I'm literally looking at it right now. Like I haven't actually gotten rid of four of them. So I've got like, I need to sew some like items, but I also do like, I pray, like I'm a Christian. So Prayer for me is so, so, so key. Um, I don't know <laughs> how I would make decisions. I don't know how I would be able to navigate this, this difficult career of mine without prayer. And I think that's a really key part for me. But also, I also power lift. I'm a power lifter. Um, I like pain for some reason. Like I find it harder <laughs> to, to lift lighter weights and heavier weights it's so strange so i <laughs> i power surprised literally like i power lift like deadlift 200 kilos so things like that are distressed like are really great distresses for me so yeah 
That's a great way to discharge stress from the body. One of the things I do is mindfulness, somatic movement. I, yeah, you usually have to talk leaders into doing stuff like this. So this is, this is masterclass to anybody listening and how to like discharge stress and keep yourself on a really even keel. Yeah. Have a higher power you can talk to. Yes. Get rid of some of that energy in your body and yeah, have a good team. So then final question. I'm really getting good at the 45 minutes here. I'm working on this. <laughs> so, okay. Actually, no, two things. What is something that you want, you want to leave with people to keep them pondering on something uncomfortable that maybe we've talked about or haven't talked about? And then what's a final thing you want to leave people with? So something to be uncomfortable about. And then final point, you either want to restate or just really bring up. If you're listening and maybe you work in the corporate space, it would be really good for you to look around in your office to see how many people in your office um, are diverse. And what I mean by that, can you see enough black women in your office? And if you're comfortable with that, then you have to ask yourself why you're so comfortable with that. Um, you know, that's what I would say. I want you to also compare how many black women you see on the street and compare it to how many black women you see in your office. And maybe speak to the woman on the street and ask her, what do you do? And get into a conversation about what it means to, you know, make sure that black women are in tech. I'll just leave that with you. It's probably gonna be a, a, a very, very uncomfortable um, process. And the last thing I'll leave somebody with that's listening to this, I really just believe that people should just believe so much in themselves and what they can offer the world. Do good, number one. Um, but also, with every kind of task that you have to do, every decision that you have to make, make sure that you're trying to make an impact in the world and doing so with integrity and also with balance. That is the quote of the episode. What a way to leave people. Lane, thank you so much for your time. I know you're busy, but you are a powerhouse and I <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed this. I think, well, if you can make time for me, you will definitely will. be coming back because I think we have a lot of things we can talk about in future. We really could. We could talk about so many things. I have so many things I could talk about. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that was the haiku version. So more, more episodes in future, more editions of this chat and whatever comes up as the world changes rapidly. Thank you for your time. And if anybody wants to know more about Neo group of companies, it'll all be in the show notes as well as socials and the company socials. But once again, just ending with a big thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your thoughts and thank you for what you're doing in the world. Thanks for getting uncomfortable with me. If you enjoyed this episode, Follow and like The Discomfort Practice wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave me a five-star and written review and share this with other people. Help me to reach new audiences with this idea that consciously practicing discomfort helps us to individually and collectively discover our superpowers and create a society and a planet where everyone can thrive. Thank you so much to my guests, all season. Go back and listen to a few more episodes to hear more of them. They are wonderful humans doing amazing things in the world. Thanks to my team who helped me produce this podcast and for those who inspire me through their writing, their conversation, and their support. So that's all from me for now. Follow me on Instagram at the Betsy Reed if you want to get to know me a bit better, some of my thoughts, 
And in the meantime, stay uncomfortable. <laughs>